Hi, welcome back to another episode of Multi-Site Masters, the podcast that explores the art of managing and growing multi-site businesses, especially in the retail and hospitality industries. I'm Lee Sheldon, co-founder of MMU, a training and development consultancy which is dedicated to helping managers to achieve consistent operational excellence, becoming world-class operators as a result. So I'll be your host for today's episode, and I am delighted to be talking with Carl Jolly, who's Director of People at the Welcome Break Group. As well as giving us insight into Welcome Break, their brand, their mission, Carl will also explain how they operate so many well-known and powerful high street brands, such as Starbucks, uh, KFC, Waitrose, and juggle that with the challenge of creating a powerful internal culture of customer service and engagement that is uniquely welcome break and is unique in the marketplace for future employees. We'll explore the work that Carl and the team are doing to relentlessly focus on improving communications, aligning everyone to the organization's most important goals, and creating a genuine culture of reward and recognition. Finally, Carl will share some of his challenges and some of the opportunities facing the business as it strives to build upon already strong learning and development foundations to improve their succession planning processes. And of course, leveraging the opportunities that being a portfolio operator provides for career development for his people. Okay, so let's welcome Carl to our show today. Carl Jolly, tell us a little bit about you. Give us your kind of 60 seconds career to date. Yeah, sure. Well, hi, Lee. Great to be here. Um, career to date, so always in hospitality or retail. Um, I suppose my education was a number of years with uh, TGI Fridays back in the early days. Um, then moved into a bit of time with Greenalls, as was a name from the past. Um, and then Predamonje, had some fabulous years with Predamonje. Um, then moved on to Mitchells and Butlers. Um, spent some time with that, that kind of big organization, which was good fun. And now, for the last 11 years, uh, working as director of people for Welcome Break. So, always hospitality and retail, starting operations, and now um, HR. So, 11 years in Welcome Break. I would imagine that business uh, has changed a lot. But before we get into that, I'm conscious there's going to be some people who may not know too much about Welcome Break. Um, So, what can you tell us about the company? Uh, How many sites do you have? What do you do? So, yeah, great question. So, Welcome Break, uh, it's a name that probably everybody knows about, but nobody really knows much about the organization. So, we operate uh, 28 locations up and down the UK's motorways. Uh, We essentially provide uh, hospitality, food, retail, gaming, uh, fuel, uh, hotels to the traveling public going up and down the motorways. Uh, We have something like 85 million customers a year visit our sites. Um, spread from Scotland all the way down to kind of uh, Somerset. Um, I suppose the, the unique thing about our companies, uh, most people don't realise, is when they visit one of our locations, everybody they come into contact with is a welcome break employee. So whether they visit one of our Starbucks, one of our KFCs, one of our Burger Kings, one of our Shell Forecourts, uh, or even a Waitrose, they're coming into contact with somebody that works for Welcome Break. And that's interesting because. One thing I've noticed is the amount of brands, third-party brands, that we're seeing working with companies like yourselves has really expanded. Uh, clearly, that's been a deliberate policy. Uh, tell us a little bit about why. What was the kind of thinking about bringing, for example, Starbucks, Welcome Break, into the Welcome Break family? Sorry, Starbucks and Waitrose. 
yeah yeah absolutely so that, that's been the evolution of the business certainly my 11 years so when i did the business we, we pretty much had three or four kind of high street brands kfc and burger king included in that and everything else was our own kind of label our own brand if you like that, that we kind of ran um we strategically decided to move into much more of a, a kind of a high street kind of world-class brand operation if you like so we wanted to offer people brands or products or services they would recognize from the high street um, and, and evolve the whole kind of sector i suppose from something that was probably not highly regarded to something that could be um as regarded at least as well as some of these kind of world-class brands that we live with so in 11 years we've gone from kind of two or three brands to now we have 15 brands uh, and a massive range of choice and offers for our, our customers you think that was very much what your customers were telling you you wanted or were you kind of thinking ahead were you being proactive and trying to identify what your customers would be wanting in the future um, well, I think it's a bit of both. So we, we knew our customers would, would respond very well to that from the kind of the, the feedback and kind of just listening to what they had to say. We we're also keen just to offer a better service. And we felt by working with brands such as Starbucks, Waitrose, um, who were very much about service, very much about quality offer, that would in, in some ways kind of drag the sector into being a much, much better place uh, from a customer point of view. So what's the mission of, of Welcome Break? Um, our mission has always been, certainly in the last 10, 11 years, uh, we want to be famous for giving people on the move what they want, when they want it, and for doing it passionately and, of course, profitably. Fantastic. I love that. Um, <laughs> I suppose 11 years, if you can cast your mind back, what were some of the people challenges that you had coming into the business 11 years ago? Um, I think 11 years, the, the challenges were around, we had pretty low expectations um, from a service point of view. So it, it kind of felt like we were, in a sense, caretaking the customer. We had 80 million customers a year in those days coming through, and they would visit our sites, whatever we did. So whatever kind of experience, however good or bad it was, there was a general feeling of those people would always come. Um, that clearly is not a sustainable way to run a business. Um, and so a lot of the challenges were, how do we change people's mindset? to just kind of caretaking our customers into someone who would actually care for our customers and, and really prioritise service and quality above everything else. So moving from a, a very transactional kind of experience to one where yes. you actually, well, pardon the pun, but welcomed uh, by your people into the, the, uh, into the site when you stop off. Yeah, and that's the big difference here. My background is hospitality. People go to a restaurant or they go to you know, somewhere kind of exciting because they want to be there. It's something, it's something they've chosen to do. It's, they're there for a reason. Most of our customers haven't chose to stop with us. They're, they're, they're kind of arriving on our sites because they have to, whether yeah. that be for kind of using washrooms, whether that's kind of be to get something to eat or drink or a distressed purchase or some description. Generally, people are there because they have to be. So the mindset is very different. Yeah, I suppose it's not a destination of choice. I mean, do do you find people uh, actually plan their journey, go online and say, is there a welcome break that I can stop stop at on my journey? Are people being proactive using the net to find that out? Yeah, so we, we think that's the change over the last few years. So I think people tend to have an idea about the general geography of where they're going to stop. So most people know they do regular journeys, they'll, they'll stop at that place near Oxford. They might not have known it was welcome break, but they know there's somewhere near Oxford that they like and they'll stop. The change, I suppose, we've seen is that people start associate more and more, not just with the services we provide, but also the brands that we provide. So people will deliberately stop at Oxford because they know it has a Starbucks and a Waitrose. 
and or they will know it's got a toss uh, in there or um, you know, a particular kind of um, food item they're looking for. That's been a change and that's obviously kind of helping our mission to really focus on what the customer wants. Yeah, I have to say, as a personal user of Welcome Break, and I'm sure many of our listeners are too, I've really welcomed the Starbucks um, drive-throughs that you've been putting in, because sometimes you don't actually need to physically stop, but you know, to grab a coffee or a tea or something on the move is fantastic. And I, I see a lot of those opening these days, so clearly that's been very successful for you. Yeah, I mean, the drive through is, again, a really good example of, of how the, the, our business has changed. So kind of 10 years ago, we wouldn't have been adding extra units into our sites because it just we would have felt diluted at our customer spend. But now we recognize, actually, the more choice a customer has, the more customers we attract. And drive throughs are a great example of that because sometimes people just don't want to get out of their car. So if it's raining, for example, the drive throughs get very, very busy. So instead of diluting our business, we're getting extra business. We're responding to what our customers want. I think that's great because you're offering, as you say, a different service than you can get if you do stop and go uh, in, into the, the main building itself. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Let's focus a little bit on your people policies. So the people, as, as the person responsible for people policy and practices, uh, it's good to get your view. Um, one of the things, again, I've noticed is a very strong culture of recognition and reward, and both from a team members' perspective, but also you do a lot for charity. And I, I know that the Children in Need charity is something that you have supported as an organization now for, for quite some time. So that whole culture, whether it's the external supporting a charity, the internal recognition and reward, how have you gone about creating the culture from, as you said, we, we were just caretaking a customer to actually taking care of people and taking care of our own people? Uh, so I think the first thing was uh, it was a recognition that the culture is is my or my team's kind of call to action. If you like, it's the one single thing we are responsible for and deliver and, and absolutely manage and love and develop over time. Without that acknowledgement of culture, we don't really have a business. And mm-hmm. um, I think the 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 idea of our culture being understood and and kind of designed and worked upon, I think, really came out of the realization that we've got five and a half thousand employees uh, we have 15 brands which generally means that most of our employees are wearing somebody else's uniform mm-hmm. they're exposed to somebody else's manual somebody else's kind of operational material um, and it would be very easy for them to be very confused about who they work for so it's very important to me that people understand uh, what welcome break is and what we stand for and actually there is a very kind of well-defined welcome break culture that underpins the culture of our partner brands so a welcome break employee could you know, work, spend their career with us in Starbucks, some of their career with us in WH Smith, some of their career in Burger King. But the fundamental culture should never change. But it should complement our brand. Yeah. So that's really important to me, this idea of 15 uniforms, if you like, spread over 5,000 people. I think that's fascinating because we all know how tough it can be in a mono brand to get culture right. But as you said, you've got your portfolio operator. You've got all of these very well-known brands, particularly Starbucks, Waitrose, KFC, etc. And yet, as you say, everyone who actually works there is, in fact, a welcome break employee. And how do you think they they adapt, they cope with this this dual challenge of, well, I'm to the, to the customer, to the traveller, I'm... Waitrose, I am Starbucks, whatever, but actually I'm a welcome break employee. 
Yes, I think they do. And I think one of the great things about the partners we have is our teams are very proud to put those uniforms on. They're very proud of working for KFC. They're very proud of, of kind of their, their contribution to Starbucks. So it's almost like they, they get the, the benefits of these huge kind of brands combined with the benefits of working in a relatively small kind of culture-focused kind of positive environment business that we are. Um, with all these fantastic career opportunities. So it's a great, unique kind of proposition, if you like. Yeah. Do you find, or I I guess from a career development point of view, there's an opportunity, and we'll talk about this, I guess, in a a little bit as well, uh, the opportunity to move between brands. So I'm a welcome-back employee, but I can go and work in a retail environment like Waitrose, or I can go to a coffee environment like Starbucks. Yes, we do. I mean, that's something we actively encourage. Uh, We don't do it on the kind of a day-to-day basis so we're very much about developing those teams within within the units and the brand but once somebody feels that they've kind of done everything they can do in the brand and looking for progression we would then look to move them into another brand or maybe a, a different type of business so an example would be going from a qsr business into a retail business and then maybe into the hotel business with the end goal being that they can either come and work at our support center or maybe develop themselves into a site operations manager which is also the, the kind of the aspirational role that that people look for. That's really fascinating. I can certainly think of a few other organizations where that day-to-day possibility is you could be working in brand A the morning and then brand B in the afternoon and you're very focused on no, the brand you're in is the brand you're in. Yes, you can develop yeah. your career into other brands, but I think that's that's I'm sure that's one of the reasons why, to use your words, people are proud to put on the uniform uh, of the brand they're working yeah. in. Yeah. Confused. And we we with that. Yeah, we've wrestled with that over the years because you, on, on the face of it, you think, oh, you'd move people between the, the kind of brands as they get busy through the day. But the reality is when one when one brand is busy, they're all busy. And actually, we, we get far more kind of optimization or leverage in the business from cohesive teams working for a cohesive leader than we do than splitting all those people up and spreading them around one site. So I'll play devil's advocate. You don't get that financial pressure to say actually it's cheaper to have staff who can multitask between brands uh let's do that you push that back no because the stuff around the edges is very limited because generally when one's busy they're all busy yeah okay so what kind of things do you do what practices or procedures do you have in place that you think is helping to create that culture of recognition both formally and informally so we, we keep our culture definition very, very simple because we have a very complicated business. So we try and keep things simple. Um, the way I define our culture is it comes down to impacting three areas. How well do we communicate? How well do we align our teams? And how well do we reward and recognize? So those three things kind of cross over in many ways. But fundamentally, we know if our communication is strong across the whole organization, then that, that works for us. If people are aligned behind the welcome break mission, so that our mission of, of delivering great service and actually giving our customers what they want when they want it. Um, and that's where children need play such a big part of our business because that's another way of aligning all of our employees despite the uniform they wear. Yeah. And then you underpin with that with a very strong focus on reward and recognition. Then the whole welcome break piece just stays very solid. It works very well and allows you to layer on the, the brand experience that we mentioned earlier. So let's talk about these these three elements of culture and the impact. You said communication, aligning teams, and reward and recognition. Give us some examples of things that you think you do from a communication point of view that might be a bit uh, different, unique to how you'd operate. 
Uh, so communication, I don't think we're doing anything particularly clever around communication, but we are consistent and we have a good a good cadence of communication in the business. So we, we do the obvious things like we have uh, weekly management team meetings in every in every kind of unit and every site. Uh, we have um, a quarterly briefing session where we bring all of our senior managers together um, in a room, sit down with a senior team and, and spend a day just on a quarterly kind of update. Twice a year, we bring all of our unit managers, so that's kind of 400 people in the room, um, again, talking about the important things in the business, focusing on, on what the business is kind of working on. Uh, we also have a requirement that every single employee um, sits down with their manager once a month for a one-to-one. -one. So that's kind of mandated, and that's very much part of our communication process. Um, so that's kind of simple stuff, but then we also layer technology over that. So we're a big user of uh, social collaboration platforms. We have something called Jam, uh, which is all about um, people engaging across the organization from uh, kind of left to right, bottom to top, everywhere you kind of go. Um, and that's the one thing that we have that is available to all five and a half thousand employees. So we, we drive a lot of um, kind of non-urgent communication through JAM uh, and push a lot of kind of recognition rewards, um, general communication through that channel. And the use of social media tools whether people are using kind of the public tools like WhatsApp, I've seen that being done well, Facebook groups, that kind of thing. But now you've got a bespoke tool that you guys are using. Do you find that also is two ways? So it's not just you pushing out information, you've genuinely got engagement, you've genuinely got people um, sharing their views, putting asking questions of you. Yeah, yeah we do. I mean, what, what we see a lot is people ask a question and then before the official answer can be kind of posted. Somebody else will have jumped in with, with a, a, a good enough reply. Um, so a lot of stuff gets dealt with, as you'd expect, from a collaboration point of view. Um, could we get more people using yes? And the, you know, the, that's a constant kind of challenge for us is we, we get more of our 5,000 people using it. But we have a very, very solid kind of 3,000 people who are contributing on a regular basis in, into that platform. And then we know we've got far, far many more people who just consume information. So they're reading it, but they're not necessarily contributing to the discussion. But it's a very important part of what we do. Yeah. And I would imagine uh, the second element, aligning teams, a lot of that is made easier, as you pointed out, they cut across with communication. So if you're having quarterly senior team briefings, I think you said the store managers, UBMs, as you call them, come together twice a year. That must yeah. help to get alignment. Yes. Yes, absolutely. It comes back to how do we simplify this business and how do we help people understand what's really important? Yeah. The job they do, the uniform they wear is kind of of less importance if they understand what we're going after as a business. And the 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 challenge that we all face in so many different organizations, particularly multi-site, where you've got obviously people in different locations as you have, and you've got the head office. How do you try and avoid that silo mentality that you know, marketing don't know what operations are doing and one operational site won't know what another one's doing? How do you kind of bring people together? Uh, well, we don't get it right all of the time, like most organizations. So, you know, I'd be lying if I said that we, you know, we don't have challenges around that sometimes. But at the end of the day, we're a small business. We've, we've got 28 locations. We can put our arms around that. It's, it's relatively easy to stay in touch and kind of look people in the eyes. Um, our support centre is, is very much around kind of informal networking and communication. There's no offices. Um, you know, people are encouraged to kind of bump into each other wherever we can. Nobody really works from home. Um, we, yeah, we kind of have a, a thing about if, if, you, if you're not in the office and you work on a site, 
because we're well set up for that. So there's a lot of informal stuff set up, but fundamentally, we're a small business. We're close to each other. Um, my people team works very closely with the commercial team and the operations team. That's the kind of holy trinity, if you will, to kind of make the thing work. Um, and, you know, it's just it's a big part of our culture. Fantastic. The practices that you have for recognition, you've touched on a little bit. What kind of things is, is formally set up that might allow a site operations manager or even a unit, a business manager, to be able to recognize an employee, a member of their team? So, I mean, first of all, we are very, very big on allowing uh, sites and teams to do whatever they want around recognition. So the expectation is you will recognize, you will reward, and however you do it, it's entirely up to you. We do underpin that, though, with some company stuff. So I mentioned Jam. We have great functionality in Jam called Kudos, which is essentially giving people small badges just as a way of saying thank you, but in a very, very public and visible way. And that gets great kind of mileage in the business. Um, and it's very easy to do, no cost. But actually very well received. Um, twice a year we'll run a company-wide peer-to-peer recognition process so we'll, we'll set up a, a scheme or a program for kind of six to eight weeks over the summer which allows people to go online recognize anybody else in the organization for any reason they want. That person's manager then receives an email and telling them they are then able to go to that individual and then hand over um, maybe a chocolate bar we've had produced or a medal or whatever the, the mechanism is at that particular time, which then allows them to take that, um, add in a little code that's on the back of that and they might win a cash prize of up to 200 pounds on a random way. So it's just a nice way of having a bit of fun. Um, it's all about peer-to-peer recognition, but it just gets that focus on at key times in our business. I love the fact that you've got some, as you say, corporate company set up processes like the kudos badges that you mentioned, but you also encourage people to do their own thing. Um, what kind of, if there's been one or two things that have really stood out for you that some of your team have done that you think, wow, that's amazing. What, what has it been that's really recognized people in an in a awesome manner? So, I mean, there's tons of stuff out there and, and a lot of stuff gets recycled between the sites. So there'll be kind of schemes around upselling or there'll be schemes around spontaneous um, kind of service offers um, that the unit managers come up with. So, um, one that I saw the other day was around um, a site, sorry, a unit team achieving their average spend. Um, and if they achieved their average spend the week, they'd come up with a process whereby everybody working in that team would receive a an extra pound an hour for the whole week they worked which I thought was fantastic um, and actually drove a lot of behaviors around teamwork and and just kind of working towards one goal which obviously helped the business as a, as a whole and that kind of thing you are effectively empowering your sites to do for themselves rather than it all being coming from the center yes so we're working up with some stuff so there's a, there's a base of things people can use but fundamentally, we, we actually encourage people to do their own things and their own schemes. And if anything, we get frustrated at doing enough of it. Yeah. Um, sometimes it just takes time to do and it's, it's helping them kind of along that way, really. I think the level of empowerment, and one of the things you said earlier was this, the culture piece, we all have responsibility for it. And I think responsibility and accountability sometimes can get unmoored. And I think you've absolutely done a great job of giving people the tools and giving them um the authority to to make these decisions and to recognise people. Um, I'm yeah, and we we don't get everything you know right. We're not we're not perfect by any stretch, but the, our intent is definitely there to do that. And yeah, keep driving on that. 
And are you seeing that impacting on you know, the traditional measures that people might look at would be labour turnover. So have you seen a, a decrease in your labour turnover? Because you know what, why would I want to leave Welcome Breaks a great place to work? Uh, I'm sure you have seasonal staff and that kind of peaks and troughs. But are you seeing that people are staying with you because of the kind of culture you've created? Um, yes and no. So I think that's still one of our biggest challenges we, with the nature of our business is that we do have a fairly transient kind of workforce, if you like, in that um, typically uh, one of our sites will be located in a rural area. There'll be a number of villages nearby and it almost becomes a, a rite of passage to work at the local welcome break before you go off and start your kind of proper career, if you like. So that is an ongoing challenge for us. Um, where we are seeing a big difference is once people have stayed with us for kind of six to nine months, then they stay for a long time. So our stability of kind of core team members is very high, but we do have this element of people that do kind of turn over relatively fast. Um, and our big challenge is nobody really knows what we're like as an employer until they kind of have a look at us from the inside because nobody really understands us from a customer point of view. So that is a constant challenge about how do we get the message out? How do we get people to understand what this business is and actually how much fun it is? Because once they're in, they stay. Yeah, I suppose it's that challenge, as you've said, your customers are seeing the brands, but I suppose the customers are potential employees as well. So it's helping to people to see beyond that brand and see the Welcome Break yeah. uh, culture and what it means to work for Welcome Break. Um, Absolutely, I'm, that's it. I've been hearing a lot uh, about the national living wage and how the challenge of that obviously increasing is that people can't necessarily easily move between one coffee shop brand and another brand just for an increase in hourly rates because actually the companies aren't affording to be able to do that. The the differentials is in many respects the culture piece and the training and development. Now we're going to move on to training and development now, but just on whilst we're on this culture and recognition, is that do you think helping you that you have this strong culture, bearing in mind we've got the, the wage challenges that and pressures that of course every employer has? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, we don't we don't get too hung up on the wage aspect to it. So the, the national living wage was actually a big positive for us because we were able to embrace it and say, right, for the first time there, we can we can move beyond being a, a minimum wage employer, um, and we offer that living wage to everybody irrespective of age, which is a big positive for us. Significant cost of the business, but actually was the right thing to do. Yeah. So it hasn't been a problem for us. It's been a great opportunity. Um, more and more companies are doing that so that differential is, is now becoming less and less i suppose so <clears throat> yeah i don't think we will ever be the highest paid employer in the business but we can certainly offer some of the best benefits and some of the best culture um, and i think that's something that i would be very happy with achieving right and it's great to hear that you're as you say you're offering it to all your employees um regardless yeah. of their role and age etc that's fantastic okay so let's talk now about learning and development I'm interested to understand what tools and practices Welcome Break uses to really drive succession planning and individual growth and development. So again, this is something we've put some thought into kind of designing it and making sure it's right from a cultural point of view, but also from a business kind of capability point of view. So I don't think we're doing anything like amazingly clever, but we are doing the basics pretty well. So. We, we have, a, again, a good use of technology in terms of driving our um, review processes. Uh, so our monthly reviews, our monthly meetings are all long-term, are all kind of stored within our system. That allows for good conversation, that allows for feedback and coaching to be carried through to the half-year or year-end review. 
um, which allows obviously a kind of formal time to sit down and really talk about where people want to go, where their development needs are, um, and what they see their future being with Welcome Break. That's great. So those one-to-ones are building basically your annual review is happening every month in a sense. It's building up. Yes. Yeah. That's great. I think. Yeah, and that's quite a new thing for us that we, we're you know, really focusing on is to get that kind of behaviour in place with our managers. So we don't want the half year review or the full year review to kind of be a big onerous thing. In fact, I would rather not have a half year or full year review. I'd rather just have a, a monthly kind of process going, but it does allow a point in time where we can link our succession planning and our kind of organisational capability to. But the monthly meetings are really key to that. Yeah, I'm a great uh, proponent of that as well. And I do think the, for me, the appraisal, uh, sometimes I think people forget the word praise is in there. And I think the whole point of that is hopefully an opportunity to, you know, appraise people and give them praise for what what they've achieved. So what are you doing to develop from a succession perspective, your next generation of UBM. So taking a team member into maybe a supervisory role, someone from a supervisor into an assistant uh, manager, and then maybe an assistant into a, a unit business manager. Do you have a, a kind of a career pathway with, with uh, defined programs? Yeah, we do. I mean, with, with the kind of challenges that we're all facing at the moment, this is something we've, we've spent a lot of time looking at. And we, in some ways, we've, we've turned the all performance review process on its head and we're not talking about performance review process anymore we're talking about development reviews so whereas we used to have a nine box grid which would be performance versus potential we now have an, a nine box grid which is development versus potential mm-hmm. and there's no bad box to be in they're all good boxes but they're much more reflective of where somebody is in their career and what kind of what where we see their potential be um, and that's the kind of start point for succession is where is someone's development needs versus their potential and then are we mindful and do we have a good visibility of who are the high potential people in this business um, so that happens throughout the year there's a member of my team who um, devotes her all of her time to talking to site operations managers talking to regional operations directors and just going through their teams person by person saying what is happening with this person what should, what does their future look like um, and then we we are able to pull that into a list, which is something we can kind of refer to, we can work with, we can bring those people in and talk to them, we can keep an eye on them, and just really focus on that group of individuals and make sure they know they have a future with us and they're just not being overlooked. Yeah. Have you embraced the apprenticeship schemes that are available? And also, sometimes organisations are crediting their own programmes to be level two, level three management pro programmes, et cetera. Yeah, this is something we're looking at. I mean, it's quite a complicated thing for us just for the nature of the brands that we work with. Um, but we are doing some work at the moment to develop our apprenticeship programs, primarily on um, kind of first and second line management. So actually putting that investment in, in those people who essentially run our shifts for us, which are really key to our success. And I know that you, you've mentioned the site operations manager role, and this would be, I'm correct in saying, the, the typical multi-unit manager, uh, but clearly they're under one roof or in one location rather than geographically traveling around. What have you, what do you think you need to do to support that population and what have you done in the past? <laughs> that is probably one of the hardest jobs in our organization. So they are now faced with the reality of um, operationally managing, in some cases, kind of 14 or 15 brands, but that could be spread over maybe 25 or 30 individual units on their site. So they do have this operations manager, multi-unit manager role, but as you say, they're under one roof. The big challenge with that is how do you devote your time um, 
in the most appropriate way so that you get the balance between coaching your unit business managers but not do the job for them. Yeah. You can imagine if you turn up at the same location every day, it's very easy to walk in and essentially take over the running of a Starbucks, which then doesn't really leave the UBM with anything to do. So there's that kind of going on. How do we get that kind of time allocation? How do we get that coaching attitude right? But then also, how do we make sure they've got enough technical skill to be able to inspire and coach that management team in a brand they maybe don't know that well? Yeah. So they won't ever know as much as the team members know or even the managers know, but they still have this role to play in, in driving operational performance. And in particular, from a service point of view, what does the kind of customer receive? Yeah, a real challenge that you've got that, that balance between the operational knowledge of the brand, um, but not to the degree where, as you say, you then take over and effectively do the job of the unit manager. Yeah, I think it's fairly common that too many people operate at the level beneath them. And I think the fact you really identified that as a, as a potential challenge for you and that the, the route to that or away from it is coaching the team to be able to come up with their own solutions and their own answers. Yeah. And we do see that. We see that throughout the kind of the operational structures. You'll see unit business managers who are doing the job of, the, of their team manager below them. Um, and then likewise, that team manager ends up doing the job of a team member. Well, that doesn't really work. And it's just about enabling that unit business manager with the, the, the confidence and the skills to be able to step back and actually start to manage their business properly. Yeah, yeah. What do you foresee as, as the major talent and development gaps for you over the next, well, I'd say the next couple of years, really? So the big things we're kind of preparing ourselves for, I suppose, are there's a lot of generational change happening, uh, which I think will affect everybody. So you know, we're starting to see younger managers being appointed um, coming into the kind of job market is like they're, they're hungry they want the big jobs and they're kind of getting them but without the experience and the knowledge of, of maybe someone that's worked in the sector for 20 years so that's a bit of a challenge for us um, and then I suppose paradoxically we are also expecting to see an older workforce so the generational shift is that there's, there's more people approaching the end of their kind of work life if you like they may choose to go off and retire which is opening up these management opportunities but they also may choose to stay on. So we then have this rather interesting proposition of a younger manager with not much experience managing a fairly well-experienced and older kind of workforce who have different needs. Yeah. Um, and how do we tackle that and how do we develop that manager's capability to you know, manage someone like me who's you know, a little bit older, wants different things, um, but fundamentally to deliver what we want as a business. But you're young at heart, Carl, no question. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I did a, a webinar last year with a lady you know, Professor Robin DiPietro, and the subject was literally how do multi-unit managers manage multi-generational workforces? And uh, this is yeah. a fascinating conversation. And one of her points was to try and get, particularly maybe the older generation can pass on some of that knowledge and experience of how they dealt with particularly people issues. But equally, the younger generation yeah. could teach, you know, teach me how to use my uh, iPad better or show me how to use Twitter, whatever it might be. So almost seeing that I can get something from you, you can get something from me, uh, but doing it in not a formal way, but giving people the opportunities to learn from one another. And then they kind of find their own ways to support one another. Yeah, and it's how we get ahead of that. So I don't think it's a problem today. I think it's going to be a challenge for us going forward. Now I want to be well ahead of it. And from a succession perspective, you've already touched upon this idea of obviously the younger generation becoming managers earlier without necessarily the, the background experience, because it's just obviously just from an age point of view, you haven't had it. Um, do you see any other big 
gaps popping up. Uh, so site operations managers might be one that you've uh, identified or it might not. Um, I think that's probably our most solid role. So the, the guys running the sites tend to be the ones that are very stable. We, we, if anything, it's how do we create more opportunities for the kind of the, the high potential um, unit managers coming through the system. That's something we're always talking How do we keep them um, kind of interested in us as a business? Because obviously the more we do with our own managers, the more attractive they are to other organizations. And that is something we're starting to see. Um, so it's whether it's around projects or involvement or secondments or just getting them exposed to different things that engages them, that's, that's kind of a big part of it. Um, and then I suppose Brexit is going to be interesting, particularly at management level. Mm. We've done a good job at developing and promoting um, kind of um, European and kind of EU managers, if you like. Mm. How are they going to feel? Are they going to stay with us? What's, what does their future kind of look like? Have you noticed an impact on it? And yet, people be deciding to go back, or is it kind of people waiting to see? Not really. I mean, it's some anecdotal stuff, so you, you, you know, pick up on conversations, or there might be some discussions here and there, but nothing in a, on a, on a big scale. Um, and certainly, you know, the, the, the feeling is we're kind of okay. There's, there may be a couple of locations that are more exposed than others, but as a business, we're, we're not in a bad place, but it is something I'm keeping a close eye on. Fantastic. Carl, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you today. I certainly found it fascinating. I'm sure our listeners will too. I think a couple of things that really stood out for me during our conversation, again, that absolute focus on culture and that we are responsible for it and that we can make a difference on it. Uh, how you speak with, with real passion yourself about how proud the people are to work for Welcome Break to whether that's supporting uh, a great charity like Children in Need or literally putting on their uniform and knowing that they can develop through the business, work for different types of organisation, as you say, uh, something like a retailer like Waitrose and then something like um, Starbucks or coffee. Um, the consistency, the cadence you refer to in communication and the fact that, to be frank, some companies just do it once or twice, but you've got these quarterly meetings, you've got a two-year, uh, twice-a-year meeting with all of your unit managers, this very focused one-to-one, -one, again, using the technology platform to enable that, to be able to review the notes, the use of your Jam social platform, uh, just to get people sharing ideas. I think you said you had about around 3,000 people using that regularly, which I think is a, a pretty strong number. Um, the recognition that work that you do, both, yes, the company organized programs, but the fact that people are empowered to tackle their own recognition and to take ownership of that, I think is fantastic. And also just what you're doing, again, with technology from a learning development point of view, but for people to think about their performance review now as a development review, and that that is all about what is my potential and what can we do to develop that person. And I think you said you had a member of your team dedicated to asking those questions and to ensuring that that support is available to develop the next generation, whether that's first or second level managers. Or also, you talked about that last challenge of keeping the high-performing, high-potential UBMs interested when you've got quite a solid population in your site operations managers. How do you keep those people engaged and stretch them and grow them when it isn't necessarily going to be 10, 20 vacancies coming up a year, clearly at site operations level? So thank you, Carl. I do have one last question for you. Uh, I'm a bit of a sci-fi guy, so I've always thought that one day, many, many hundreds of years in the future, perhaps, time travel is going to be possible. So I'd like to know if it was available now and you could jump into your own little 
pod TARDIS like device. What would the current Carl Jolly, what advice would you give to your younger self when you were just starting out in your career? So that's a, that's a great question. Uh, what advice are you? So the advice I would give is probably something I see a lot in, in people I work with. And I think, <clears throat> I think when you're coming into your career, when you're starting out, it's very easy to, to focus on focusing on trying to do right things rather than do things right. So it's very easy to get carried away with rolling out the the, the next big thing or the 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 you know, the, the, the kind of the the, the trend or, or or something you've stolen from another organisation without putting enough thought into well how do we actually as an organisation business just do things right? That's just well so right in terms of execution, getting things done correctly and getting them done you know right first time rather than having to keep going back and doing it over and over again. Carl. Yeah, and just because something's exciting and kind of sexy, it doesn't doesn't necessarily mean it's it's doing things right. On on that note, Carl, thank you so much for your time today. I'm sure everyone's enjoyed it. Uh, if you want to contact Carl, you'll find his uh, contact details in the show notes for this episode, wherever you found the episode, whether on iTunes, SoundCloud, or the website. Thank you again, Carl, and have a great day. No problem. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Multisite Masters. As ever, the contact details of our guest speaker can be found on the show notes where you found this podcast. That will be on iTunes, SoundCloud, or of course our website, multisitemasters.co.uk. We look forward to seeing you next time on the next episode of Multisite Masters.